Welcome to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast, where we mix business, law of attraction, spirituality, and well-being with great guests and phenomenal stories. You'll hear hints, tips, and up-to-the-minute information on digital communication from an expert in her field. Pearl has some wonderful individuals in her networks, and she will be interviewing them all at some point in the future. Enjoy your listening. now. Well, hello and welcome to another Pearls of Wisdom podcast interview. And this, yet again, is another of the series for the International Women's Day. And I know anyone listening to this is going to say this is after March, but it's for the whole year. International Women's Day is the 8th of March. We know that. But International Women's Day organisation, that whole idea runs for the whole of the year and because we've had so many people so many inspiring empowering wonderful ladies that want to take part in this this is going to run and you'll just see in the titles which ones are the international women's day so having said that i'm going to introduce you to the wonderful wonderful lady that is my guest today today i am speaking to kerry hoffman Hello, Kerry, and welcome, and thank you so much for being my guest. Oh, thank you, Pearl, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm so looking forward to this. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to social media because I started this whole, this whole project started with me sharing one memory on Facebook where I'd spoken for International Women's Day four years ago. And I said, wow. would anyone be interested and we're now just over 200 strong. Didn't quite make the 500, but I think 200 women that want to be involved in just a month, just think where we're going to be by the end of the year. It's definitely going to grow and grow. So with that, I'm going to read from your LinkedIn profile, Kerry. <laughs> Kerry Hoffman, number one best best-selling business author, helping companies transition from their legacy pasts to their digital futures. Just wow. I mean, that just blows me away from you've caught the attention straight away with that. So it's just a wonderful profile. It really. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to, without further ado, I'm going to jump into the question. And this could, this could be the only question I ask you for the whole interview, <laughs> or it could be one of many. So, Kerry, would you share your career story with us? Because bearing in mind, we could have young girls still at school trying to choose their career. We could have women that in this current climate, they could have been made redundant, looking to pivot and change their career. So we could hit anyone that's looking to move on. And could you share your career story? Because I know it's going to empower and inspire so many people. Yeah, I would love to. And my career story has very varied a varied path to it. So I think it'll be um, so it's so it's interesting because of that. Right. So and I'll start, you know, because we may have some people on who are trying to choose a career. I'll start with, you know, how did I get into what I got into? Right. So I was very good in math and science in school. And um, actually, and this was a long time ago, I actually took a college class while I was in high school that was computers. It was Fortran. So that's going to, now that'll date me. Um, <laughs> but that, I, I actually hated that class. Okay. I hated it. It was tedious. It was, it was so much to 
um, type in order to do one little thing. But I didn't think I liked computers. And that'll come up later. Um, so being good in science and math, I'm like, well, okay, I could go into engineering. I could be a, you know, I could go into medicine. And I decided to go to school for pre-medicine, although I really wasn't interested in being a doctor. And what that led me to was um, my first 10 years of my career being a medical technologist in a hospital laboratory. And this was back in the mid 80s. And it was an awesome experience for me because I deliberately chose a hospital who was advanced in their both their technology and the fact that they ran their laboratory as a business. And that was very important to me um, because I it wasn't just medicine that drew me, right? And medical technologists work in a hospital lab and they run all the lab tests on, on different samples. Um, but I was also very interested in technology, even though I didn't like that Fortran class. And so that was important to me. I ended up having four different roles in 10 years. Um, and I was always taking process. I was simplifying that process. And then I was automating it. And the fact that we had a laboratory information system and a hospital information system that they actually did homegrown back in the late 70s was very empowering because it enabled me to do a lot of automation of things way back in the 80s. And so that was very important to me. Now, let me, since we're talking about Women's Day, one of the interest, other interesting things about this experience for me was that 95% of medical technologists were women, okay? And so diversity is extremely important. And that means 95% women is really not diverse. So there were some interesting aspects to working with all women and not having enough diversity there. The other diversity thing, my last role in the hospital, I was um, supervising 35 people. 30 of them were phlebotomists who drew blood samples, and five of them were med tech students. And I love that role. I actually, um, I was in a part of the U.S. that wasn't very diverse, but I was very interested in diversity, and so I was hiring a diverse set of people into that team. I had people all the way from 20 years old to 60 years old on my team. I hired a 55-year-old to learn how to be a phlebotomist. That was really exciting at the time. She didn't think I would choose her because I looked very young. I guess I still look young for my age, but she didn't think I'd hire and I did. I also had a diversity of talent. And in the United States, you know, um, the, the diversity um, in the area I was in was not very diverse from an African-American perspective. And I, I had a couple of African-Americans on my team of 30 and I promoted a lot of diversity and inclusion. And so my team of African-Americans grew. And I've got some really interesting stories there that we can go back to if we want to. Um, I went from the hospital to Johnson & Johnson, one of the best companies to work for in the world. Um, and I entered that role at, in sales, in technical sales. So in the hospital, I became an expert troubleshooter of those lab analyzers. And my sales role was a technical sales role. So I would install the analyzers. I would um, help the hospital learn how to use it. And then I would sell all of the consumables, all the things that they needed to buy to run that analyzer. I would sell that. I call it my easy sales job because if you have the analyzer, you had to buy the, <laughs> the supplies from us. So the only hard part about that sales job was um, selling additional tests that maybe they weren't running. 
Now, I joined a company that um, was acquired by Johnson & Johnson less than a year before I joined that division. And they had Macintosh computers and J&J had PCs and all the custom programs we used to install the analyzers had to be moved over to the PCs. And so I worked with IT and I helped write all the test protocols for that. And I found errors in the code that they said, but it's the exact code that was in the Mac version. And I would be like, I would test it over there and go, oh yeah, it was wrong there too. <laughs> so I was finding, finding bugs that were wrong in the previous software. Um, so I, I actually, um, I, I, while I was in that sales role, I got promoted into a role in December of a year. It doesn't matter what year it is. It started in January of the next year, the job. It was a regional sales role. And in February, they decided to eliminate the role. The reason this is important in my career is because um, the other interesting twist to this is that I was meeting a new VP the, at the same time she had to tell me the position was being removed. She was my boss, but I hadn't met her yet. And I had a really strange reaction to this. I said, huh. I said, um, well, so what happens, you know? what? So I, no, the first thing I said was, oh, so you know what? It kind of makes sense because there's a lot of things this role does that should be done in the corporate office. So I can understand why it's happening. I said that first and she was kind of looking at me like, why isn't she freaking out, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, well, so that's kind of cool. When is this going to happen? And she's like, well, we're not really sure yet. And I'm like, really? She said, yeah. I said, oh, I don't know where this came from, but I said, do I have at least six weeks before this role ends? She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And what happens at, what happens when this role ends? Then what happens to my role, you know, to me? Oh, we'll put you back in your sales role. And I'm like, okay. I said, here's the thing. We just took all my customers and we had moved them to another person who was already in a sales role. So she said, we just carve out the territory again. And I'm like, that'll look bad with the customers. And if I have at least six weeks, I said, I think there's all kinds of things I could do with those six weeks to help drive sales in the region. So we could be the number one region for sales this year. Um, how about if this was a Monday of sales, um, of the sales uh, week where we're all together as salespeople. And I said, what if I come back with fr on Friday with some ideas of what I can do in six weeks? And then you can say, yeah, do it or no, don't do it. She's like, okay. <laughs> so I don't know why I reacted that way, but I ended up doing that role that I made up for one and a quarter years. I was I went from doing one project at a time every six weeks to doing five projects. Three of them were for her, two of them were for the corporate office. Um, one of them was helping develop a new consulting arm for the company that would work in the field. And the other corporate one was rolling out a new lab instrumentation and re redesigning all the territories of the sales, technical salespeople because of that. So I tell that story because it's important to take advantage, right, of, of anything that comes along. And I'm a true believer that things happen for a reason. So even when it seems like something negative, it happens for a reason. And so you've got to find, like, what is the opportunity in this? What is the learning experience for me in this, right? Yeah. 
And so what, what had happened, the reason I did it for a year and a quarter is after about nine months, they, they, they check the headcount at the end of every year and they were floating my headcount. So they were one headcount over. And so she came to me in like September when I was working on these five things. And she said, you know, we're going to have to put you back in your territory because they're going to count headcount at the end of the year. And I said, okay, I understand that. I said, but I'm working on five projects. These are the five projects. She knew what they were. And I said, um, if you put me back in my territory, I'm extremely customer focused, as you know. So 90% of my time goes to the customer. 10% of the time can go to projects. So I can do one of the five. Which one would you like me to do? And which ones would you like me to hand over to somebody else? And she would just sat back and she was like, oh, my God, like, there's no way. We'll just figure out how to float your headcount. So keep doing what you're doing. And that's why it ended up into a year and a quarter. It afforded me the opportunity to do this huge career search at that point within, you know, one of the best companies in the world. I got to talk to VPs across three or four different departments. I looked at five different possible roles Um, I got to test out one of those roles, which was actually selling the lab analyzer itself, which was a a capital sale, not the technical sales role. But where I ended up landing, I never thought I would land. It wasn't one of the things I was looking at. I was, I said I was helping with those territories and, um, and there was a lot of technology behind what I was doing. I was taking data in and um, actually, they couldn't provide me the data for the for the laboratory information, um, the laboratory technical salespeople, all this information I needed. They couldn't provide it to me electronically because this is like back in 1995. So they sent it on green bar paper that was this thick. <laughs> and I manually entered it into Excel in a week. It took like 80 hours in a week to enter all this information. And then I redesigned all the territories based on data. It had never been done that way before. So I actually got, as I was going through all these, you know, exploratory interview things, I was at the corporate office doing that. And one of the people I was working for in the territory area said, well, what about IT? Why don't you look at IT? And I'm like, well, you know, exactly what are you talking about? And they're like, well, we have this data warehousing role that we need to fill. And I'm like, okay. I said, I don't really have data warehousing experience. He's like, you just did this whole data thing. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I wasn't really thinking that way, right? And then I said, okay, I know what role you're talking about because you guys asked me to talk to this person who's going for the role. And it's this guy who has all this experience. It was an external person in data warehousing. So how could I ever compete against that? And he's like, well, that's not going to work out. And we think you should be in that role. So I, yeah, I know, crazy, huh? I ended up interviewing for this IT role. And I told him, I said, look, I was interested in that role, but I thought I'd have to have a degree in computers to be able to go into IT. And he's like, oh, no, we're, and this again, this was, now this is 90, what year is this? Anyways, it's late 90s, um, I think. Mid, yeah, late 90s, 98. It's 1998. And he said, you know, we're starting at J&J, we're starting to look at taking business people and putting them into IT because um, it's hard for IT folks who have always been in IT to learn the business, but we can take business people and have them learn IT. And you're very technically savvy, which I was. So it was awesome, right? I ended up getting in that role. And that's how I entered IT. 
So this was three years into my 16 years at J&J. I ended up um, moving to different business units. I ended up moving um, to New Jersey, Jacksonville, Florida, then New Jersey, because J&J is headquartered in New Jersey. Then I spent three years in Singapore. I actually ran IT for the consumer division of Johnson & Johnson in Asia Pacific. I had teams in 14 countries. Um, That was my second vice president role at this point. And I ended up in several different um, vice president or CIO roles for business units at Johnson & Johnson for for this journey. So I think I think it's important to take just a slight step back just for a minute and say that the interesting part about this journey is I was a customer of a very complex product, a lab analyzer. Um, And then I went into technical sales for that lab analyzer. So now I went from customer to technical sales. Like you're really strong in technical sales when you were a customer. Mm -hmm. And then I moved into IT in the same division that sold that lab analyzer. So I knew the business backwards and forwards. And my first IT role was data warehousing for sales and then finance. And then it went on from there to different business units and different parts of the of J&J. My second IT role, well, I had, I got promoted actually three times. And I want to talk about sponsorship because we're talking about, um, we're talking about Women's Day. I want to talk about the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. But one of the, um, one of the things that I learned um, when about the lab analyzer was that a lab analyzer is a mini manufacturing line. It has the same architecture technology-wise as a manufacturing line. And at, at my second division that I was in IT at, at J&J, I supported manufacturing and supply chain because I didn't have that experience And they wanted to give me that experience. And I learned, I sat on a manufacturing line to learn. I actually sat in manufacturing for about two weeks. And the first day I was amazed because it was like a giant laboratory analyzer. The architecture of it was the same. And the the division, the part of manufacturing that I went to to learn was the one that had a horrible relationship with IT. So I did that on purpose. And I started asking all these questions, very intelligent questions about the manufacturing line. And the, and the director said to me, how do you know to even ask these questions? You don't have any manufacturing experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And I just looked at him and I said, I actually do have manufacturing experience, kind of in a different life. So that's how I know to ask, ask these questions. That's how I, you know... There's there's this theme to Women's Day, right? That's choose to challenge. And so I chose to challenge when he challenged me on that, not to shrink, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Because that's so important. I did know. Now, I didn't tell him it was because I'm an expert troubleshooter on lab analyzers, and those are just like a manufacturing line because he would have minimized that experience. Yeah. I just said, well, obviously, I do have previous experience if I know to ask these questions. <laughs> oh. So yeah. choose to challenge is so important. Oh, but yeah. let me let me back up just a little bit because I entered IT 
as a senior, the role was called a senior consultant, but we were employees. It was a very confusing title, but it was one step below a manager. And um, it was recognized very early that I was working at a much higher level than that. I had a wonderful CIO of that business unit, a gentleman called Craig, who was absolutely fantastic. Um, he was like three or four levels above me at the time, but I was on a very um, visible project. So I got to know him because of that very visible product, project, this data warehousing project for sales. And he recognized right away that um, I was at a much lower position than I should be. So I ended up getting... D- promoted to manager. And then I ended up getting promoted to senior manager within a year. Now, in order for that to work, they had to break some rules. Okay. And this is where there's a difference between mentorship and sponsorship. Mentorship is, you know, you have a mentor and they, and you have conversations with them and they give you advice and it's awesome. Believe me, it's awesome. Everybody needs mentors. I've been a mentor It's really important, but it's also important to have sponsors because only sponsors can clear the path and the obstacles and really fight for you as you're climbing the corporate ladder. And so he was my first sponsor and um, he enabled me to get raises that were between 15 and 30% when you're only supposed to get five to 10% for a promotion because he knew that if he promoted me and my salary was too low, it would take too long to promote me to the next level. And he sat me down and explained that to me and said, you can't expect this throughout your career. This is very unusual, but we need to do this because of what you're paid. And and you're working at a much higher level. We want to promote you very quickly. That is sponsorship. Now, the other thing he did was I was a very passionate person and I'm a very impatient person. And I always... um, I'm, I, I've always been doing business transformation, right? So I'm a very future forward thinker. And I, I thought that, I don't know, maybe this is something that women do a lot, right? We, we minimize our expertise and our experience. A lot of women tend to do that. And I was no exception to that. So I just assumed like what I was thinking was common sense. And, you know, he would have discussions with me like, Carrie, this isn't common sense. Like, these are really innovative ideas. And I'm like, oh, to me, it's just common sense. And he's like, no, it's not. So so he would, um, and I was impatient too, right? So now I'm this like driving transformation and I'm impatient. So if people don't get what I'm saying, I'm not exactly very patient with them. So one of the typical things that happens, right, to women is we get told you know, you're too aggressive, right? And I was told, you know, oh, she's great. Like the feedback that I would get on performance reviews, she's awesome, but she's really kind of aggressive, you know, in the way that she works with people. And so he sat me down one day and I still wasn't reporting to him at this point. And he said, um, I think I was a a manager, I think I was only a manager at this point, not even the senior manager. And he said, you know, we're getting this feedback. He said, I don't know what to tell you because I don't want you to be any less aggressive than you are. He said, what I will tell you and what I do know is that if you were a man, I would not be getting this feedback. And it really frustrates me. I mean, what a great sponsor, right? He said, it really frustrates me, but I don't know how to help you because I'm a guy. (laughs) So (laughs) he said, I want to, I want, I think you need a mentor who's a woman. 
okay, so now I'm a manager. And so next level senior manager, next level director, right? So I'm thinking, oh, there's a woman on the team who's a director. Maybe I'm going to get her as my mentor. Wouldn't that be cool? Because she's like two levels above me. And he's like, um, so I really want you to put, put you in contact with Carol. Uh, Carol's my boss. I was like, what? <laughs> so my mentor was one, two, three, four levels above me. That is what sponsorship is, right? He cleared the path to give me a mentor who was four levels above me. And it was fantastic, right? This is what helped me move to senior manager and then director very quickly, very quickly. So it's exciting, right? It's an interesting, interesting path. The other thing that I'll say, because, you know, I'll talk about that. I don't always talk about this, but um, I do when it, we're on a diversity panel and we are talking about Women's Day. So in this same business unit as a director, um, my great sponsor, Craig, moved to another business unit as they often do in Johnson & Johnson, and I got a new CIO who I reported to. So he inherited me. And I ended up hitting a glass ceiling in this business unit. Now, I think it's important to understand, when I joined Johnson & Johnson in 1995, 35% of the top of the company were women, almost unheard of in 1995. So it is a very diverse and women-friendly company. That doesn't mean you won't hit a glass ceiling. Now, here's the thing. Because of my career path, and, and I grew up in a neighborhood of 25 boys and two girls. I was one of two girls. I grew up in a family with two brothers. I was very used to playing with boys, working with boys. I was, uh, you know, and I, I had grown and I climbed up the corporate ladder pretty quickly to director. So I'm assuming you got to do something wrong to hit a glass ceiling because, I mean, this hasn't been that hard to climb the corporate ladder. And I hit a glass ceiling. And when I hit it, I hit it hard, right? Because I thought you had to do something wrong. So now I still have this mentor who is above my CIO. And when this happens, of course, I'm you know instantly talking to her, instantly talking to Craig. Oh my God, what happened? I'm all upset, you know. And I, and I said to my mentor, I said, but I didn't do anything wrong. And she just looked at me and said, Well, really. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you don't have to do anything wrong to hit a glass ceiling. And she's like, well, no, that's not how it works. So we had all kinds of discussions about how it happened, why it happened, how I could have avoided it, right? Um, and my and Craig said, and when I explained the story to Craig, he said, are you sure it's really a glass ceiling? It just sounds like politics to me. And I'm like, well, isn't this interesting? This is why he said I needed a woman mentor. Because <laughs> he realized like he wouldn't quite, he wouldn't look at it the same way. But her and I looked at it as, yeah, you hit a glass ceiling. And he looked at it as, well, maybe it was just politics. But what happened from that is I became the most awesome, like coach and mentor to women ever, right? Because I, I, would, I recognized the little things I did that may have contributed to it. And I also recognize the little things that happened that I should have addressed differently to try to avoid the glass ceiling. Now you can't always avoid it, right? Yeah, but you can't because I hit another, because being totally savvy, I hit another one <laughs> much later in my corporate career. Um, well, but that one, that one I hit and I resolved I didn't get taken out of my role. <laughs> this first glass ceiling, I actually got taken out of my role. They said, we're going to take you out of your role. This isn't working out. 
And because of my great network and mentors and sponsors within J&J, I was able to transfer to another business unit. And that was an interesting transfer because what I was doing when I hit the glass ceiling was exactly what the new business unit wanted me to do. And I was like, that's the last thing I wanted to do was the same type of role that I just did, right? (laughs) Um, But, you know, with all the sponsorship and mentorship, you know, high encouraging me to do it, I decided to take that role. And that led me to, um, you know, moving to Jacksonville, Florida, and then moving to Singapore, um, you know, and, and having that wonderful role of being able to run IT in another country, which is like a, an, a, a getting an MBA on steroids, right? Yeah. It was the most fantastic experience ever. Um, now, when I was in Singapore, I was, I was in global roles before that. And I was globally outside of the U.S., and Pearl, I think, I think you'll understand this. Outside of the U.S., I was considered the most global, global person out of the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> and that's because those of us from the U.S. who are in a U.S.-based company and start doing international work, we tend to have a certain way that we do work, which is we come up with an idea, we get it all down, we put it in a PowerPoint, and then we go and show our international colleagues how great it is. Don't you agree? like we should do this. Okay. That's not actually being very global. (laughs) And my my very first global role was doing, was back in that first division of, of Johnson, Johnson and Johnson. And, um, the president of, I was, remember I was working with this mentor, right? Okay. The mentor said to me very early on in the mentorship, what's your elevator speech? And I'm like, I I don't know. (laughs) What do you mean? What's my elevator speech? She said, if you met the president of your division in the elevator, okay, and we did have one part of the building that was five stories and the president's office happened to be at the fifth story of the five story building. She said, if you met the president in the elevator, what would you say to her? I'm like, I don't know, because the president was a woman. That was pretty cool. I said, I don't know. Like, hey, hi, uh, I'm Carrie. Isn't the weather nice? (laughs) I don't know. What would I say? (laughs) So she taught me how to do an elevator speech, an elevator speech, 15 to 30 seconds max. Right. And you introduce yourself because she's never met me before. And you talk about the project that you're working on and what your role is in it and how it's going. And I'm like, oh, my God. So you want me to get in the elevator, introduce myself and talk about myself? I'm like, I I don't think so. She's (laughs) now would a guy have a problem with that? No. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that's what she said. She's like, well, if you were a guy, you'd have no problem with that. I'm like, I know, but it seems like bragging. She's like, well, if women are going to cl- climb the corporate ladder, they need to learn how to. And I thought she was going to say brag, right? She said they learn, need to learn how to talk about themselves without it feeling uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. So she said, well, if you're not comfortable talking about yourself and what you're doing, talk about what the team is doing. Okay. So, hi, Kathy. That was the president's name. I'm Carrie from IT, Carrie Hoffman from IT. You haven't met me before, but I'm working on this great data warehousing project for the sales team. And, and the team is just doing a fantastic job. And in, in fact, the return on investment from this project so far has been like increase in revenue by 8%. Wow. Wow. What an elevator speech, huh? I yeah. still remember it to this day because my mentor made me practice it. 
And she made me practice it and I had to give it to her. And so for three weeks at this point, we were being, she was mentoring me every week, three weeks in a row, I had to practice this elevator speech with her. And you know what happened on the third week after I practiced it with her, I got in the elevator and who was in the elevator? Oh, Kathy Erzik. Wow. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I was shaking. <laughs> I'm like, someone else is going to come in this elevator, right? Nope. Just Kathy, just Kathy and me. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to four. She's going to five, right? She's like, and so I looked at her and I said, oh, hi, Kathy. You don't know me. <laughs> I did my elevator speech. She was like, oh, wow, that's really great, Carrie. We should talk about that sometime. Well, I ended up with my first global role because when it was time to do the goals for the year, Kathy wanted someone to lead the goals. Well, so they had a team that led the goals every year that was kind of like from the middle management, and then they would present it to the senior management. And they would give us some guidance and that kind of thing. And so when that came along to suggest who was going to lead it, she thought of me. Now, I said to my, my Craig was still my, you know, was still there. Now I was reporting to, was I reporting to Craig? No, I was a senior manager, um, but I was about to be promoted to director, but it wasn't announced yet. And I had never been on the goals committee before. So I said to Craig, she's like, Kathy wants you to lead this. And I'm like, Craig, I haven't even been on the team before. Why would I lead it if I haven't been on the team before? Because usually the leader was someone who was on the team the previous year. He's like, no, she really wants you to do this. You're going to interview with some other people. And I'm like, okay, all right, all right, if you think so. I said, but first I want to talk to people. No, I know what happened. I interviewed and then they said they wanted me to take it. And I said, okay, Kathy, I really do want to take this, but I want to be able to talk to some people who were on the committee last year before I accept. Just, I just need to make sure that people are okay with it and, and that when I'm announced, I have a plan and I'm not going to have a plan unless I talk to people, right? So she, oh yeah, that's great. I was like, okay. So I called like, at least six people that were on the team. I called one from each country. They were all from different countries, one from the US, the other all international. And I, and I asked them what went well last year, what didn't go well. If you could change three things, what could you change? These are my favorite three questions whenever I start a new role. And so I asked those questions and they all told me that, well, here's what happens. There's a U.S. sub team that always gets together and puts the draft together. And after the draft is together, they send it out to all the international people and get our input. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound right. And they're like, no, it's not. I'm like, okay, I can change that. I don't think Kathy will have a problem if I change that. But uh, there was another thing I don't remember. And then the third thing was that when they presented the goals, they presented it to the U.S. president first, and there were three presidents, U.S., Japan, and inter everything else, internet, the rest of, they called it rest of world, but everyone in the, in the rest, everyone outside the U.S. hates being called rest of world, right? So I said, okay, U.S., Japan, and international, we got to call it something, right? And so, um, and it's a U.S.-based company, so that made sense. So they said they always presented to the U.S. president first and then get the input from Japan and the international president. And I'm like, oh, that I think we should present it to every, all three of them at the same time. They said, we think so, too. I'm like, OK. So now I go back to Kathy with number one. OK, yeah, the whole team. We're not going to start with the U.S. team. Number two, the thing I forgot because it was kind of trivial. 
And then the, the third one, I'm like, oh my God, she is the US president. So how is, I don't know what she's going to think of this, but these are my three conditions for accepting the role. I said, my third condition was what the team feedback was. You know, they didn't like that it gets presented to you first and then the other two. We want to present it to all three at the same time. She said, I think that's a great idea. Wow. I'm like, okay, choose to challenge, right? Yeah. Have your information and choose to challenge. So, uh, you know, the funny thing is like years after I had hit this corporate ladder, or this, the, um, the glass ceiling, because I hit the glass ceiling in the same business unit, right? How do you hit a glass ceiling in the business unit that has a woman as the president? How does that happen? Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't really thinking of this, but one of the things she said to me, I gave her my three conditions for doing the goals. She said to me, I have one condition that you, you get in this role and you stay in it. Oh no, this was a, another role. After the goals, I got in another position, which was leading an ERP business case. And she said, my one condition for, for this is that you stay in this role for 18 months and you don't go to a different role. Well, I hit the glass ceiling. I got taken out of my role. Okay. And there's all kinds of interesting things behind that. Um, and I, well, I'll tell one interesting thing about that because it's important for International Women's Day and choose to challenge. Um, I, so I went to her to tell her that I was switching business units, right? Because I had gotten taken out of my role and I wanted to thank her for all the opportunities she had given me. And when I told her, she number one, she didn't know, which was really weird. And then number two, she got mad at me because she said, I'm breaking my commitment. And I was, I was like, I was like dumbfounded. I'm like, what? And it just kind of ended really fast. It was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It was late in the day. And I, I left her office kind of dumbfounded, like what just happened? I don't understand because I thought she knew. Okay. Yeah. And um, I thought she knew and I didn't, I just, I didn't know that she didn't know. Um, what happened just prior to that is there was a steering team meeting on a report out for this ERP business case. And the that new CIO that had come in place that was part of the problem. I actually reported to five guys doing this U.S. business case. I reported to five VPs. One of them was that CIO. One of them was someone in charge of process excellence. Those two were bad news. The other three were great. Okay, but I now this I didn't really, I I really didn't understand all this yet, right? Because I was kind of blind to the glass ceiling, and then I hit it, and then you figure it out later. So when, what happened when I hit it is the CIO said, we're taking you out of your role. This isn't working. And I'm, he couldn't explain to me why. I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't really get it. But he said, so you know that presentation you're working on for the steering team meeting? You need to finish that, but then we're going to have, we'll just call him John. We're going to have John report out at the steering team. I'm like, I looked at him straight in the eye. This is another choose to challenge moment, okay? I looked him straight in the eye and I said, Okay, so let me get this straight. You want me to do the whole presentation and then he's going to present it. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, just have him do the presentation. Like have him create the presentation then. Well, he said he can't, he can't produce the presentation because he doesn't have all the information. He, he's, he's not up to speed. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. I said, here's the deal. If I'm going to create the presentation, then I'm going to present half the presentation and he can present the other half of the presentation. But I am not going to create a presentation and hand it over to someone else as if it's their work. I will not do that. 
And he just looked at me and I'm like, it's your call. Either you have him write the presentation and present it, or I write the presentation and I present half of it. And he's like, okay, fine. You, you write it and present half of it. So I'm in the steering team now. Okay. And I am, I am presenting this and I get to the part with the budget because of that. And, and the president, Kathy looks at me and says, Carrie, what I want to understand is how we're only halfway through the business case and you've already spent all of the business case money. And I looked around the room like daggers across the table to some of the guys on that steering team because that was totally not true. Mm -hmm. So I looked Kathy straight in the eye and I said, Kathy, I don't know where you got your information. I think we were three quarters of the way through the business case. I said, I don't know where you got your information, but we are three quarters of the way through the business case and we are 50% of the way through the budget. So we are actually under budget. And I said, and there are details in the appendix on slide, blah, 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 where you can check that information. She flips to the appendix, she looks at the numbers and she looks around the table with daggers, right? Like what the hell is going on? And I'm like, yeah, what the hell is going on? And I'm like, wow, I really did hit a glass ceiling, right? I really did. And it was amazing what was, you know, it just, it was amazing how it worked. Well, I found out, I found out many years later that Kathy never knew that I was taken out of my role. And when I went into her office that day to tell her I was switching business units, she thought that that was my choice. They didn't tell her. Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) That is how the glass ceiling works. (laughs) Oh, isn't it just, I mean, the amount of synchronicities you'll find my favorite word is synchronicities and (laughs) listening to how you're sharing with us it's almost exactly the same as the work I've done and where I've hit certain things when when I started this saying about um that I it come from a memory that come up from Facebook where I'd spoken before I was asked on LinkedIn this lady had put out a request for a woman that excelled in a male-dominated area. And of course, people put me forward because I, I do digital communications. So I'm yep. the liaise between communications, the rest of the business, and IT. So, uh-huh. and so I understand. So when you're talking all the tech stuff, I'm thinking, this is my lady. This is my lady. I fully understand <laughs> Yeah, that. so you're used to being at the table and you're the only woman at the table. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And it takes an awful lot to do that. And then to say the different things a lot of it has been self-taught but I've been lucky enough to go really high really quickly I mean I got my second consulting role was with Jaguar Land Rover to do the social media strategy for the launch of the Evoke now wow that's simply because it was so new people didn't understand social media and so I was brought in because I'd, I'd started on Twitter. I was one of the first to start with Twitter. And you go in and you work with it. And like you say, I would be picked. I'd go into a boardroom, all men for IT. And this is partly why I keep my hair blonde. I'm very naughty. Because <laughs> they look at me, I'm five foot two, so I'm very small. And I think, this is this blonde person that knows nothing. Uh-huh, and they yep. tech to me. 
and I wipe the floor with them and I <laughs> love it. I absolutely love it. But it's like you say, this is where, yes, I've hit glass ceilings, but because I work for myself and I do go in and I consult, but it's strange how, like you said, they give you very weird titles. I've been called a specialist. I've been called a guru or a consultant. But as soon as they give you the consultant title, they add a few noughts at the end of what they're paying you. So they don't like giving you that consultant title. Right. You go in. So there's so much that you're saying that I'm thinking, yes, things happen for a reason. And as well, if people don't like it, like you were saying, when you hit that glass ceiling and where people hide things, I've had that before. And it's yeah. Well, it is brighter. (laughs) Right. And I think when we as women will talk about this and Jay and Jay was a great place, right? Because 35% of the top were women. So actually there were a number of CIOs that were women. And, um, and we had a women's networking group before it was fashionable to have one. And we would have panels and discussions. And the reality is everyone was hitting glass ceilings at some point, even in the best company to work for, right? And so we were teaching each other how to, okay, like when you're about to hit it, or even if you hit it, how to turn it around and not have it affect your career, or how to turn it around and have it be a benefit to your career, right? So hitting a glass ceiling Oh, yeah. Okay. It hurts at the time, but I grew so much from that experience. Right. And I really became um, so much better mentor for women and helping women um, ask for a raise, um, make sure that when someone repeats what they just said at the table, but everyone ignored them, that, that you've got other people in the room that will say, didn't Carrie just say that? I think Carrie just said that, you know, like you plant and those are guys, not women that are doing that. You learn how to build a support network around you so that you are less likely to hit it. And if you do hit it, you know what to do about it. Or you can easily move somewhere else because, you know, people understand what you deliver and your results. Yeah. So that's so key, right? So I had a, I had a, um, I had another very strong male sponsor, um, two more male sponsors within J and J that were very strong and helped me move to other business units and helped me get that role. Oh, gosh, I think maybe I had three or four total male sponsors throughout J. It's just a wonderful company to work for, right? And and the experience in Asia was fantastic. So that's I, I know I went backwards, but in when I started in Singapore, I was like I was known within J&J of being a very global person. So I did understand global. You get trained as an expat in J&J about culture. So I understood the Asia culture, but I still hit a very rough spot within my first seven months there. I, even though I understood the need, um, the, the need to recognize the, um, the oldest male um, in the culture, like, so the leadership team, we had people from, it was, by the way, that leadership team in, in consumer Asia Pacific, I sat on the team with the president, right? Um, she, the president, well, when I joined the president was a man, but very quickly became a woman. 60% of that leadership team was women. Okay. But the CFO was the eldest and he was a male. And I underestimated like how much I needed to respect that. Okay. Not, it wasn't a negative diversity thing, but I needed to respect that from a cultural perspective. And I probably, well, it's not that I didn't respect him, 
there was some, there was another male that reported to me who thought he should have had my job and he was trying to sabotage me behind the scenes and he was friends with the CFO. So he was manipulating the situation that made it, made it need a need for me to just like over the top respect this guy. And, and I was me, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm equal to everybody. Some, some U.S. stuff you can't get rid of. So, um, so I hit a very rough spot. I knew something was wrong, but the culture in Asia is to save face. So even if you ask for feedback, people won't give it to you. But I remember I had great sponsors. I had multiple bosses. You always have multiple bosses in J&J. Um, my IT boss was in the U.S. He was from Latin America. He was another sponsor of mine, right? And, he's, and I told him, I said, you know, something's wrong. And I don't know what's wrong because no one will give me feedback. And he's like, well, yeah, that's the save face thing. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. And so he dug into it and figured out what was wrong. And there were a number of things, but I was getting very uneasy and frustrated and impatient with the fact that I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And that wasn't helping matters. So I was given a choice to either come back to the U.S. or try to fix it. And I'm like, well, of course I'm going to try to fix it. So I, I, I got what the feedback was. And it wasn't even, it's not even important what that feedback was, but I got what the feedback was. And I decided that I would ask two people on the leadership team to observe me and when I'm displaying some of these behaviors that don't fit with the culture and to let me know. Who did I pick? Two guys. Um, I, I had had this discussion with the president, by the way, who at that point was a woman and she totally understood what was going on from both a woman perspective and a lead, just everything, cultural. And um, I, I picked two of the guys, the one guy from Australia, because he's very Western, and that CFO, Okay. And I went to them and I said, look, I said, I got some feedback on my development plan. I really want to turn it around. I want to share with you what that feedback is. And then I would really appreciate it if you would observe me and give me feedback. The Australian guy said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't see this at all. And the CFO totally saw it, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I wasn't doing it manipulatively, but I was looking, I was truly an really wanting to look at the wisdom of the CFO, the eldest guy on the team, to help me with this situation. And he did understand the nuances, right? And he did help me with it. And I completely turned it around in an incredible way. And I just had the best experience there. I had these just fantastic results. Um, and I ended up um, being known for being the U.S. person doing great in Asia. It gets outside the company when that happens. I had recruiters calling me now because everybody, every U.S.-based company wanted people with experience in Asia. I was in Asia from 2008 to 2010, three years. Um, and I ended up getting my next job, which was CIO roles at business units at Johnson Controls. I was at Johnson Controls for six years. I got that role because of the recruiters I met because of the experience that I had in Asia. So again, you know, have great sponsors, um, choose to challenge what's going on. Like if something's wrong, like try to fix it, right? You grow the most when you are hitting these rough spots. Um, and I think feedback is a gift. And I tell this to all the people I mentor and coach, feedback is a gift. Even if it's not constructive, 
it's still a gift and you've got to find what the gift is and what you're supposed to learn from it. Right. You can, and you can challenge unconstructive feedback, but it's still feedback and there's still something there. So I went on to work six years at Johnson Controls in two different um, roles. I almost hit a glass ceiling in the second one, but I, uh, I was able to work my way around it um, and turn it completely around um, won, won awards for my department after turning it around. Um, so that was fantastic. I was actually put on a perfor- performance improvement plan. <laughs> Not, and hardly anybody knew this. So if anyone's listening that knows me, they're going to be like, what? <laughs> and um, I totally turned it around. I used it as an opportunity. And we, and we won awards after that. So you can do it. Now, I left Johnson, Johnson Controls. It's confusing because there's Johnson and Johnson, Johnson Controls. I left Johnson Controls. Um, when we went through a merger and all the IT roles went to um, the merger company um, and the president of the business unit um, at this point didn't want me to leave. So he was offering me some uh, a role in a different department as a leader, but the package was really great. And um, I always had an entrepreneurial itch. I called myself an intrapreneur when I worked in corporate America, uh, an internal entrepreneur, intrapreneur. And, um, and I took the opportunity to leave. I took six months off. In those six months, I spoke in the industry, which I'd been doing previously. I was working with two nonprofits and I helped raise over $300,000 for a Girl Scout council in my area. And I also dabbled with a startup. It was a, um, it was a blockchain startup. It, of course, was all guys and me. I hit unbelievable unconscious bias. I mean, you can almost call it conscious bias. It was so bad. And I'm like, you know what? I'm on sabbatical. I don't need this. So (laughs) forget it. (laughs) I I mean, if I wasn't on sabbatical, fine, but I'm like, I'm on sabbatical. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Forget it. I'm out of here. You can make that choice, right? Choose to challenge. I challenged it. And then I'm like, this is ridiculous how you're treating me. I'm out of (laughs) here. But I let them know, like, you guys are totally off base here. Um, so it was kind of fun too, because it was fun to like tell him what they're doing and that it was wrong and that I'm not sticking around because I'm on sabbatical. So you're lost. See ya. (laughs) Right. Um, and then I, I ended up finding out that there were coaching franchises. So at the end of my sabbatical, I was going to decide what I was going to do. I was either going to be a CIO somewhere. I was going to retire because I could have. Or I'm going to start my own company. It's going to be a coaching company because I love coaching and mentoring people. And I ended up finding Focal Point, which is a franchise. So I independently own and operate a franchise coaching practice. And then, you know, just because that wasn't enough, I ended up um, talking to someone who I had worked with at both Johnson & Johnson, and then he followed me to Johnson Controls. He had left a company um, about a year into Focal Point and we came up with this idea to start a company and I, and it actually took off. So that was get digital velocity. So now I have two companies, <laughs> a focal point coaching practice and get digital velocity, get digital velocity helps companies with digital transformation. And we do roadmaps and we love big old companies who have lots of legacy. And um, it's really fun because we started during the pandemic We got our first customers in May of 2020, and we've been going strong with that ever since. So it's been quite a ride and it's been a lot of fun. And I I think it's important um, 
you know, the choose to challenge, I gave examples throughout because I think it's just so important to do, right? Definitely. We're, there's still so many stats about um, women. So women-owned business, great stat. No, not a great stat. Only 2% of women-owned businesses gross more than a million dollars of revenue a year. Yeah. It's not a good stat. We need to change that. Yeah. And still the number of CEOs that are women in Fortune 500 companies is still hovering around 5% right? So we're, we need to move the needle. We do. And so in my coaching, I helped to move that needle. Yeah. And my coaching client, um, my main, I have, I have a women, I coach women owned business. That's a small part of my coaching, but then I also coach technology companies. And you can imagine that I'm always looking at, okay, what, what's, what are your diversity, diversity ratios in your tech company, right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's a lot of fun. Oh, this, it's just so wonderful. Everything you've shared, I think anyone listening to this, and I say this to with all of the episodes, but specifically with all those pearls of wisdom, those golden nuggets that you've shared. If someone listening thinks, yes, I know someone that needs to hear this, please share the episode because this is what we're doing the interviews for. Because if we can actually shed a bit of light to somebody no matter where you are in your career and you can see by example what my wonderful guests have done this is going to help everyone grow and there are so many synchronicities so many between <laughs> your journey my journey I've done it through corporate but I've done it as a contractor self-employed going into different corporates but yes my, if people look at my CV, they're normally quite surprised because I've I've been lucky. I've worked with some really big names. Yes, you have a wonderful CV <laughs> of the companies you've worked for. It's fantastic. <laughs> but thank you, thank you. But is this is where you and I are so alike? Is we will look. We are driven. We want to move forward, and it's it's understanding something. If you understand something that is. Maybe it goes against the norm. Like we've both gone into tech <laughs> and we've been in tech. I can remember, I remember doing my exams and it was quite a long time ago. And I was one of only three women that took the computer studies exams. Oh, and yeah, was, I'm sure. And it was when they were doing very basic things. We had to write a program for traffic lights, how the lights change from red to amber to green. <laughs> and actually say and showing that i mean now i can say i've done whole intranet migrations for the lights of national grid for b sky b most of the national health service which is the health side for um uk and when you go in and you understand like we were saying before when you can talk at that level to it technology people and because you're going in and you're training, I'm always going in on the transformation side, like the work that you've done. And it is, yep. and then I do it from the communication side where I will tell them the curve that they're going to go on, where they need to let the um, the employees know what to expect and that there will be the peaks and troughs because that's part of the learning curve as things are changed. But then 
I I don't do it so much now because I do more of the strategy. But it's when you get to actually roll your sleeves up and you get to do the coding. And when you right. go in, and I I know with one of the NHS places I worked with, they had a whole intranet built on Drupal, and they outsourced <laughs> it to an agency who didn't understand Drupal, who had outsourced it to someone else, and I was brought in to look and train the whole IT team because they didn't like Drupal. So I had to write a 150-page user manual, how to use it, show them what was wrong, train the IT people. And that it's like you say, when you do that, you can go in and you can either say, yes, I'll do that, or you'll think, no, that's too hard. You take on the big stuff and you grow. And you that's take right. out of that comfort zone. And it is, I mean, I can remember talking to a director at National Grid and he said to me, can you edit videos? I'd never edited a video in my life. And I went, <laughs> yes, yes, I could do that. And yeah, I, he didn't ask if you did do it. He asked if you could do it. Sure, I could do it. <laughs> so I literally went out that night. I finished. Oh, it was a Tuesday, I think. Um, I went out. I went straight to the local um, tech place and I bought my first MacBook because I thought, well, if I'm going to be doing this, <laughs> and I stayed up all night on YouTube learning how to edit videos. And there I went go. in and I became their tech, almost their tech girl Friday because it was um, gas at 200. So gas had been about for 200 years. So they did a massive thing and they toured all around America, all around England, saying wow. about how um gas had happened and they'd used all these video snippets which I'd had to edit and go in and then I had to run the tech for the PowerPoint because it was all I had to run video in PowerPoint and of course at the time most people didn't at that time right at the time that wasn't easy (laughs) so I had to go around and I'd always take me trusty memory stick because we all knew it had to be on the same folder and it had to run from there and I went with all the different directors that were all chosen all around the UK and then my director was over in America and his people could get it to work and he was talking to me over the phone from America (laughs) what do they have to do talk to these people show them but it's all this is how you learn Exactly. Well, Pearl, I think I think what you're saying is so important, too, because you said, of course, yeah, I could do that. Right. That's really important because I think by now most people have heard about the, you know, the study of there's five qualifications on a job. Right. And uh, a man will look at a woman will look at that and say, well, I have these three and part of this fourth one, but I don't have the fifth one. So I'll go get that experience before I apply for the job. Right. Yeah. A guy will look at it and go, I have this one and half of that second one. Yeah, I could do it. And they apply. Yeah. Right. So we've got to be willing to step up and be vulnerable and try new things um, mm-hmm. and making, you know, and make sure that we're we've got the resources we need to make ourselves successful and learn things while we're on the new job, which you did, you know, and that example with YouTube. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can learn anything at this point. It is, and it's 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 not being scared to right. do that. And so many people, like you say, they want to be perfect before they move forward. Yeah, you're never going to be perfect because there's always nope. something else changing. So you just say, nor do you need to be perfect, that. right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, this and this is the whole thing about digital. If it's not quite right, you change it. Like you were saying, where you found the problems in the programming. 
There yeah. are people that will have been paid a lot of money to do that. Yeah, I've missed it. Whereas you've gone in and you found it, and yeah. it, it's knowing that and knowing it can be changed easily. Don't be afraid. And again, where you shared an example where maybe it didn't go quite the way you needed to. I share. I've shared twice now. I I said yes to doing a website, and I didn't know the server side enough, and I had to outsource <laughs> that to someone that did, and they messed up. Oh, and no. Technically, I could have destroyed the lady's brand I was working with. And instead of walking away, I spent ages and I went to all the people in government. Now, I've worked around massive central government departments and I rang them all. And every single one, because I'd worked to the digital technology directors, every one of them gave me web developers from their government site and said, Pearl, we work so well with you, we will do anything to help you. And they helped me put it right. And then I went on to LinkedIn and I said, I made the biggest mistake of my career and I fixed it. And I got more engagement on that post than any other. <laughs> because this person came on and he said, but you're on a social media platform. You shouldn't be saying when you've gone wrong. I said, yes, I'm, I'm going to own it because I'm going to tell the truth. I don't want someone else. Yeah, let's, oh, let's, stop, let's stop the social media of we have perfect lives. Here's exactly. my perfect pictures, right? Exactly. We need to be real. We need to be real. And, you know, th this is so important what you said, because, again, it's it, you you have a support network. Yeah. And as women, we we sometimes hesitate to use it because, you know, it's admitting we're not perfect or it's admitting that we need help. It's it's perfectly natural. Right. Use that support network. I tell people like I, you know, I talk to a lot of people throughout my my career that you know, maybe got laid off. And it's so devastating for people um, getting laid off. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I, I got a package, right? I got laid off too. Um, and it was interesting because I'm like, I wonder how I'm going to react to this. Well, first of all, I have to follow all my advice. So throughout the years, I would tell people, look, I know this is, seems horrible right now, but almost everyone, because I'll never say everyone, Almost every, but it really is everyone, everyone I've ever known <laughs> who gets laid off ends up in a place better off than they were before, right? And so that's number one. So you got to stop freaking out. Number two, you have to promise yourself on this time off that you are going to work for every single morning for a set number of hours you decide. And then in the afternoon, you are going to do something fun for yourself. And I don't care. There's a lot of fun things you can do for free if you're all freaked out about money. But do not spend your whole time freaking out that you don't have a job. You can't spend eight hours a day finding a job. Well, you can, but it's not really going to make you that much more effective. And everybody tells me that I mentor who get who finally gets their job, whether they got it in a month or they got it in 12 months or they got it in 18 months, they say, I wish I would have had more fun while I was off. I'm like, so do that. Yeah. So when, so when I got my package, I deliberately took six months off because I'm like, I'm gonna, go, I gotta follow my advice number one and number two, I, I mean, I need to follow it like over the top, right? And so it was, it was interesting because uh, yeah, okay, you could say I did have a choice, I could have stayed, but I still, I was taken, I got a package, I was taken out of a role that I loved dearly, right? And so it was still. Interesting. And then I had to deal with a lot of um, people that reported to me, peers and 
um, business partners who I would, and especially the business partners who I would go tell, well, I, I didn't get the role. The other person got the role because we were doing a merger. So there were, I, there were a lot of places where only one person out of two was going to get a role. And they were just like, what? I can't believe it. With everything that you've done, the transformation that you've done, how could this happen? And I was like, I mean, don't you guys like get it that when there's, it's more about politics than what you've done. Almost all layoffs are more about politics than what you've done. Or it's just the numbers, like a whole department goes or half of a department has to go. So, you know, it, you, it, we take it, we tend to take it personally and we, and we can't take it personally, right? And I learned the hard way because twice now I've been approached by some of the big five consultancies. Sometimes the role you are interviewing for does not exist. They just want <laughs> to rack your brains. Mm. And I learned that the hard way. I was so excited. It was one of the top five. And I had two directors interviewing me and I was given this scenario and left for 20 minutes to pull together a presentation. So I did it. And then I heard nothing. I had no feedback, wasn't told anything. And then where I use, this is where having the network is so good because I'd commute from the Midlands into Westminster, into London. When you earn well, I'd go first class and all the people I'd be working, sitting there with and I'd see every day would be the CIOs, the CFOs, it would be directors and everything. And I'd be saying that, and I said, which of the big five was it? So I told them and they said, no, that wouldn't have been a role. They would have been going for a tender where you've worked and you've just given them all the information that they are going to use for the tender so they can win it. And Incredible, it, huh? And this is what you don't realise because at the time you're excited. Right, And right. you want to do well in the interview. So you share all these wonderful ideas because you want the role. Right, and it right. exist. And it, that is a learning curve, but it's realising and seeing it. And if, if just by sharing now on this interview – if someone listens to that and they get asked that question, even just go inside and think, is this really a role or have they looked at your slide? Because I got I mean, they were they were plying me for almost four months and I really felt it was the ideal role. I was going to run a whole team and everything. Um, wow. Yes, it would be great. But then when I looked at it, it was a tender from one of the government departments. And yes, the big five that I'd been talking to. They won that tender, and it's because of what I'd given them. The information that you had given them. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I you know, it, this kind of stuff happens, right? And what what do we do? We learn from it. Exactly. It's, a, it's a wonderful learning experience. I mean, we said before we started this interview, we were sharing about law of attraction. I really yes. believe some of these things that we have had happen in our lives, I see it now because of the work I'm doing, it's the universe almost testing me, putting things in, in my way to see how I react. And if it happens more than once, it's because I didn't get it right the first time or I didn't right. learn the lesson that I was supposed to learn at the time. And as exactly. the information gets higher, and as we said, the work we do now, the people we're meeting, we're meeting for a reason because the universe are bringing, are bringing us together because we think on the same lines we we literally 
everything we're doing, we're thinking, yes, I can see why I've met that person now. But it's yeah, exactly. Hard. Well, and there's actually a lot of science behind this now, yeah. which I find fascinating. So that's a whole nother topic, but <laughs> that's for another but, interview, most definitely. Yeah, we might. We 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 definitely should do that because it's a whole nother discussion. There's no such thing as a coincidence, that's for sure. Uh, I mean, look at look at the synchronicities you and I have in our careers um, that we didn't know until we started talking on this. Right, ex- exactly. It's amazing. It's it, amazing. And that that's where I truly believe we were brought together for that. And where you were saying about mentoring. When I did one of the Pearls of Wisdom panels recently, I've actually put out that I'm asking for women that would like to join a mentorship program and would like to mentor people because that's something I feel drawn that I need to give back. I mean, I've mentored people all my life. Right. I'm mentoring two teenagers currently. Oh, nice. It's seeing... This is another way of giving back for International Women's Day, seeing what women are interested that say, yes, we'd like to mentor even as a group and say, right, we're going to talk about a set subject. Who wants to learn from us? And Because it is. Oh, that's a great idea. And it's a way of giving back. And it's people that are listening to this episode that have listened to all the podcast episodes. They're learning bit by bit. And this is experience and insight that you'd never get it, it is it is with wisdom it's gold it's gold dust it's golden nuggets that people are sharing and we've taken our whole career to get to that stage where we understand it now right yeah. exactly and you have to you know and it it takes a while to understand it and put it together right but if we can if we can help people learn it earlier in their careers it's going to really be helpful. And, and, and that's how we're going to move the needle, right? We've got to challenge what happens early in our careers so that those numbers at the top of organizations can actually change and you don't learn it late and get frustrated, right? And, and to opt out. So. And it is, I mean, we've said about this dreaded COVID, it's been such a life lesson for so many people but take it as a positive. Look what we're creating now because exactly. we've got time. And I think I think certain things will never go back to the way they are. They oh will. yeah, I totally agree yeah. with that. And you know, we all we all have gone through the pandemic, right? So you could say we're we're all we're all in the same storm, but yeah. we're not all in the same boat, are we? Because yeah. some people are looking at it and looking at, well, what what kind of opportunity is this? And other people are looking at it and saying, oh, my God, you know, everything's falling apart. When we started our we started Get Digital Velocity, the idea of it started before the pandemic, but we didn't have clients until during the pandemic. And it was I mean, we started getting clients in April, May of 2020. So you can start a business in a pandemic. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've I've pivoted because I I've always got my work from contracting, and then I thought, no, I I can help individuals now as well because I'm used to doing digital. This is where everyone wants to take their business online. That's exactly. What I, know. I know how to do that, but that was a learning curve. Yes, I've got that qualifications and the caliber from corporate. But you try talking one-to-one with people and it goes straight over their heads. And then when you try and give you the, your corporate figures of what you normally get paid, they look at you as if you're talking complete and utter rubbish. And that was, <laughs> that was a learning curve because obviously a corporate 
and a single entity are not going to have anywhere near the same budget and learning what do you give for a certain amount of money and how much of your intellectual property do you and how much is it worth right so yeah so starting the focal point business we were looking at you know what should the hourly rate be everybody sets their own hourly rate and I had picked a number and it's quite high number because I looked at, well, okay, if I took what I was making before and divided by 20, 80 hours in a year, that's what it is. Yeah. So the very, the, my first tech client that wanted me to be on their advisory board, they asked me what my hourly rate was. And so I told them what it was. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't make it smaller. I didn't shy away. I just told him what it was. And he said, okay, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. all right, I really am worth that. Right. And then, you see, if people then try and quibble, they aren't the people you should be working with. It's, right. And this is something I'm really learning now. The women that are coming on to this project are the women that resonate at the same level as I do. And it mm, makes, Isn't that fun? It, this is, I mean, the conversations I've had, the interviews, it's, it, I feel like I've known, I mean, all my... From where we've discussed, I feel like I've known you all my life now. I know. Isn't that interesting? I feel the same way. I feel the same way. And And let's get more women vibrating at this level, right? Exactly. And if if we can inspire and empower, like we said, even if it's young girls that are thinking they don't even know where to start their career, they don't know what universities to go to, just explaining and sharing our career paths hopefully we've shed some light that they can think all oh, right yes so I want to study that that's a subject I want to take because it's going to set me in good step my daughter studied law because she wanted to show she could do a reasoned argument and <laughs> and it, you don't have to go on and take law and be a lawyer once right law, you can do so many things my degree is in English so I can mm-hmm. write I can write, I'm publishing quality written work, but I do digital and tech. But that's where the communication side comes in because my English degree shows that I know how to communicate and actually write that down and understand the different styles and learning styles that people use. Yeah, and I actually took pre-med knowing I didn't want to be a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) But I figured, figured, well, you know, I'll find something. (laughs) It's having that grounding and yeah. learning to pivot with it and move because there, there are again we go back to what's happened with this pandemic some roles may non may no longer exist because oh and it's and it's not only the pandemic right um we so this is another topic too but we've actually exited the industrial age and we're in the next age and there's always a trigger when that happens, and the trigger is this exponential growth in technology, okay? There's all this convergence going on, and we can get into this another time, but what that means is that the jobs that exist today are not the jobs that are going to exist in a decade or two decades from now. It's going to be completely different. So what's important is that we're continuous learners, and we know how to pivot, not, it doesn't matter what you go to school for. It, it matters that you're learning how to learn. And you're learning how to pivot, right? And so, you know, hopefully the education system will start teaching more things related to that. But it's still valuable. I mean, even when I went to college, I, I, I don't know why, but I had the mentality that I just want to learn how to learn better. I want to learn how to learn faster. It wasn't necessarily like the topics that I was learning that I thought I'd use for the rest of my life. I, I don't know. I just didn't think that way, yeah. right? So. 
Yes. So Pearl, this has been so much fun. Well, it has, and I've just seen the time. Where did it go? It's just flown past. It, it, it has flown past. I think we went a little long. Hopefully people don't mind. I think this, my listeners love this sort of thing. I've got one, one interview I did that lasted three hours. So I always say when I share that one, I say, get yourself a drink and some biscuits. You're in for the long haul because it, it just, the, the words just flowed. It just happens, right? <laughs> it, does. it does. So it just leaves me to say a massive, massive thank you. And to ask you, I mean, we've touched on it, but to ask, would you come back and be a regular guest, please? Because you've got so Oh, absolutely, Pearl. I'd love to. Thank you, Kerry. I'd be happy to do that. That is wonderful. I will give you your day back because I've 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 encroached on some other things, but I love And I need to give you your evening, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Kerry. I'm so glad we've connected and I can't wait to be interviewing you again. Thank you. Oh, I can't wait to be a guest again. Thank you, Pearl. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the content shared. Please share with others who would like to enjoy these interviews and discussions. If you would like to support the podcast, please follow the link in the episode description. If you want to be a guest on the show, reach out and let's discuss next steps. Until the next time, enjoy your listening.